History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 23rd episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And tonight we are going across the pond, way across the pond, on over to Mother, Mother Russia. Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Better be careful. The KGB is going to come get you. We're going to go check out the haunted Kremlin. And it is indeed very haunted and it has a very elaborate history. And of course, since the Kremlin has basically been the seat of power in Russia for most of the time that it's actually existed as a country. The history that we're going to give you tonight is going to be a concise history. We're going to give you the condensed version of the history of Russia, but we will be covering quite a bit of its government history. But before we get into that, first of all, we should introduce you to our new assistant furry producer. Rafiki has been joined by another little furry. Her name is Tiana. I don't know if she'll talk. Will you talk, Tiana? Well, she did lick the Well, microphone. she licked the microphone. That's as good as it's going to get. We adopted a little rescue Maltese this weekend. So Tiana is new to our little broadcast family. Before we get into the show, we do want to point you over in the direction of our website. That's historygoesbump.com. And that's where you can find access to our blog, the Emporium, archives, events page, contact information. You can subscribe to the newsletter there and find out where you can listen to the podcast and follow us on different social media. And also, if you are so inclined to donate to the show to help us out with the overhead expenses that we have here, we also would love to get your reviews over at Stitcher or iTunes. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. We greatly appreciate it. We do want to send a special shout out to Bob, who let us know that he's been listening to the show, that he loves the show. And there's only one problem. Denise, you know what that is? Uh, that we don't do enough of them. That's right. He says there's not enough shows. <laughs> so thank you, Bob. That's awesome that you want more. Yes, indeed. And unfortunately for Denise and I, we both work full time. So uh, we kind of have to do this in our free time. And so we try to put them out as much, as many as we possibly can. But generally, it's about every five days that we're able to get one out. But if we ever get into being able to do this as a full time gig, you better believe we'll be putting out a lot more than that. So. If you want to send us any comments or suggestions in regards to the show, particularly places that you would like to hear about, please send those to historygoesbump at gmail.com. And everybody listening, don't forget in the next week and a half, if you either sign up for the newsletter or join us on our group page over on Facebook for the Spooktacular crew, you will be entered in a contest to win some Spooktacular gear. You will either be able to win a t-shirt with a logo on it or a coffee cup. So there's still about a week and a half. So don't, don't let it go. Don't miss your chance to win some of the 
gear. And just so people know, the History Ghost Bump fan page and the Spooktacular Crew group page are two different things. So you may have liked our fan page, but that does not enter you into the contest. You have to join the Spooktacular Crew. And the main reason we're doing that is because we've pretty much moved most of our commentary over to the Spooktacular Crew page because that's where people can actually see what's going on. The fan page, a lot of it gets lost in uh, Facebook hell, I guess. I don't know what else you'd call it. So we decided that we'd start focusing more on the group page because it's a lot easier for people to see different commentary. And we like to put up a lot of interesting this day in history and hauntings that are in relation to those different history type things. And also if we see interesting articles about the paranormal or maybe something that's ancient history discoveries, something of that nature, we love to put it up there. Plus, eventually we'll have pictures of our travels and we'd love to see your pictures as well. Yeah, so, so go on there and share what you're up to and what you're doing because we'd love to know what you all are up to as well. So February 1st, 2015, we will be drawing one winner and you only get one entry. So even if you subscribe to the newsletter and also join the Spectacular Crew group page, you only get one entry just to keep it fair for everybody. Why don't we go ahead and get started with the show? That and- sounds like a plan. <laughs> like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com Way out in the middle of interstellar space sits a planet with a very familiar blue. At first glance, one may think that this may be an Earth-like planet, possibly able to sustain life. There is carbon dioxide, methane, and water vapor in its atmosphere. The planet has been named HD 189733b, and it was discovered in 2005. This exoplanet is approximately 63 light-years from Earth. Unlike Earth, it orbits far closer to its sun than we do. A year on that planet lasts only 2.2 days. Boy, does one age fast there. And you might want some major sunblock on this planet where surface temperatures reach 1,551 degrees. The Hubble Space Telescope was used to study the planet, and they found that the blue of the planet is a deep azure due to many elements in its atmosphere, that are similar to Jupiter's elements creating solid cloud particles. Sodium atoms in those clouds absorb red and green wavelengths and then give off the deep blue. The sodium atoms are created by silica, which basically means that the clouds are made up of grains of glass. These grains of glass then most likely fall from the clouds, resulting in a planet that rains glass. Now that certainly is odd. Welcome. We have been expecting you. (laughs) This Day in History On this day, January 23rd in 1977, the Roots miniseries premieres on ABC TV. 
based on the novel Roots, The Saga of an American Family, written by Alex Haley. ABC was apprehensive about how audiences would receive the series, and so they ran it on a unique schedule and made sure to advertise it using more of the white actors. Their fears were unfounded as Roots broke viewership records and won several awards. An estimated 140 million Americans watched. The miniseries finale holds the record as the second most watched series finale in television history. Roots was nominated for 37 Emmys and won nine of them, and it won a Peabody Award and Golden Globe. The plot of the series follows the black family's history from Africa to America and through the 18th and 19th century past the Civil War. Stars of the series include LeVar Burton, Cicely Tyson, Louis Gossett Jr., Ben Vereen, Ed Asner, Lauren Green, Sandy Duncan, Lloyd Bridges, Burl Ives, Maya Angelou, and O.J. Simpson. The series was not without controversy as it came to light that Alex Haley had plagiarized several parts of his novel, stealing from Harold Corlander's book, The African. Corlander sued and Haley settled out of court. Two sequels were made later, and the History Channel is currently working on a remake of the miniseries. And now, why don't we head on off to Mother Russia? Kremlin is a Russian word meaning a fortified complex found inside a city. There are many Kremlins in Russia, some of which that are in use and others that are just ruins. Our focus is on the Moscow Kremlin, which is simply known today as the Kremlin. The area upon which the Kremlin is built has thousands of years of history behind it, and the Kremlin itself does as well. As the seat of the government, the Kremlin has seen many leaders come and go. Some of those leaders never left. Not only does the spirit with which they led the country remain, but in some cases, their actual spirits still roam the halls of this magnificent building. Some of those guys were some jerks, so I don't know if you really want them hanging around. Archaeological digs have revealed that humans lived in the area where the Kremlin now stands as far back as 500 B.C. The area was a prime spot for living because two rivers, the Moskva and the Neglanaya, come together there. Yuri Dogoruki, the founder of Moscow, was born sometime in the 1090s. No one has ever been able to pinpoint his year of birth. During the Rurik dynasty to Vladimir II, Monomakh, the Grand Prince of Kievan Rus. Kievan Rus was a federation of East Slavic tribes, and modern-day Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus all come down from these tribes. 
The capital of Kievan Rus was Kiev, and Vladimir ruled there from 1113 to 1125. In 1108, Vladimir sent Yuri to govern the Rostov-Suzdal province, which was in the northeast. Yuri founded many cities while he was in this territory, and he allied himself with Sviatoslav Olgovich, who was a prince himself. The two met in Moscow in 1147, and Yuri stayed there and fortified the walls of Moscow, earning him the moniker "Founder of Moscow." A wooden fort was built on the spot where the Moskva and Neglinaya rivers converged by Yuri, and the city of Moscow grew. A monument and a coin were made in Yuri's honor, and a Russian submarine was named for him as well. The Mongols came in the early 13th century, and they raised the wooden fortress. A hundred years passed before the Kremlin was rebuilt in 1339 by Prince Ivan Kalita. He enclosed the Kremlin within fortified oak walls. It was at this same time that the Kremlin was first mentioned in Russian chronicles. In 1366, Dmitri Donskoy, who was the Prince of Moscow at the time, replaced the wooden oak walls with white limestone. Ivan III Vasilyevich, famously known as Ivan the Great, became the Grand Prince of Moscow in 1462, and things really began to grow for the Kremlin. Under Ivan the Great, the Kremlin became the seat of power as the Russian territories were unified. Ivan commenced the rebuilding of the Kremlin. Inviting Italian Renaissance architects to help with the design, new walls, a new tower, and a new palace were all built, as well as three extant cathedrals: the Palace of Facets and the Deposition Church. The Palace of Facets was built as the throne room where state receptions were held, and today is the official representative hall of the Russian government. The Deposition Church is known today as the Church of the Deposition of the Robe. And the robe part of the name is for the robe of the Virgin Mary. The church was a private chapel for the Patriarch of Moscow. Who was the head of the Russian Orthodox Church in Moscow, but was later taken over by the Russian royal family. The walls of the Kremlin were finished in 1495, and they are the same walls that can be seen today. Ivan the Great decreed that nothing could be built near the Kremlin, and a 30-foot moat was placed around the Kremlin. Ivan the Terrible was the next Tsar to hold court at the Kremlin, and he became the first Tsar over all the Russias. He was crowned the Prince of Moscow at the age of three, and his mother served as regent for him until she died when he was eight. At just sixteen, he was crowned Tsar of Russia. Ivan was a wise and powerful ruler, bringing the printing press to Russia for the first time. But he also established serfdom and was terrifying at times. He found it hard to control his temper, and he was given to bouts of mental illness. This mental illness was on display during the massacre of Novgorod, and also when Ivan killed his handpicked successor, who also happened to be his son, Ivan Ivanovich, by hitting him in the head with his staff. The first strains of paranoia came when his first wife died by poisoning, and he blamed his advisers. But his mental instability showed as a child, and the narrative is similar to that of any garden variety serial killer. He enjoyed torturing and killing animals as a child. And he ran with mobs as a teenager, beating women and children. Ivan would never trust his advisers and would kill many of them through the years. But he was also a man of art and letters that he wrote have been described as Shakespearean in content. Ivan continued the building that had been ongoing at the Kremlin. He had Saint Basil's Cathedral built over the moat and renovated the palace. He also had a palace and a cathedral built for his sons. And that Saint Basil's Cathedral is the one that a lot of people see in. 
a lot of the um, pictures whenever they're showing Moscow. It's that very colorful oh, with all the different with all the different colors on the spires and yep, stuff. That's that's the cathedral there. The time of troubles followed this period, and the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth occupied Russia from 1610 to 1612. Famine in the area killed two million people. And I tell you, when it comes to starvation, Russia is tops for that. I mean, people starve to death there like no other place. The only other place I can think of is China that has had starvation like this. The volunteer army of Prince Dmitry Polsharsky liberated the Kremlin and a new czar was elected. Tsar Romanov added the 11 domed Upper Savior Cathedral, Armorial Gate, Tarim Palace, Amusement Palace, and the Palace of Patriarch Nikon to the Kremlin and their construction was completed during the reign of his son. In the year 1682, the reigning Tsar died and an uprising resulted known as the Moscow Uprising of 1682. It was at this time that a 10-year-old Peter the Great became the new Russian Tsar. He would rule until his death in 1725, and he was so traumatized by the uprising that he moved the seat of Russian power to St. Petersburg. The Kremlin was still used for certain events, and it continued to be improved with the tiled tent-shaped tops added to all its towers. According to the famous historian I.F. Zabalin, the addition of the tent tops to the towers did not strengthen the Kremlin's defense, but gave it some other eternal strength and expressed the poetry and spirit of the old pre-Petran ruse. Peter the Great had the Kremlin arsenal built. The building was commissioned in 1702, but due to the Russo-Swedish War, it took until 1736 for it to be completed. It was built in the shape of an elongated trapezium with a large central courtyard and was used as a museum and then later as a barracks. The arsenal has endured much destruction. In 1737, it was heavily damaged by fire. The reconstruction took until 1796, and then in 1812, Napoleon blew the building up. That reconstruction took until 1828. So as people are listening to this, you're probably getting a picture of the Kremlin is not just one building. It is a, a grouping of buildings in one area. In the late 18th century, the Kremlin Senate was built, and its architecture is done in the Moscow classical style. The Senate has a circular hall that has been dubbed the Russian Pantheon. Colonnades run around the outside of the circle and rise to over 88 feet, and the hall is topped by a dome that has 24 windows. This building held the private studies for both Lenin and Stalin and has wonderful bas-relief sculptures. A secret tunnel beneath the area was probably used for spying, and that would be spying on Lenin and Stalin. So it was their own people spying on them. Since 1991, the Senate has been the home for the President of the Russian Federation. The Great Kremlin Palace was built in 1849 over the area where Ivan III's palace once stood. The building has wide-bayed brick arches, and while the outside is not considered to be anything special, the inside of the palace is extraordinary, featuring styles from the Renaissance to the Byzantine. There are five halls inside, each dedicated to an order of the Russian Empire. The Georgievsky Hall has marbled plaques that are engraved with the names of more than 10,000 Russian officers who have received the highest honor of the Russian army, the Order of St. George. The Andrzejski Hall is the throne room and built from pink marble with a spherical dome. Vladimirsky Hall is in the form of an octahedron and is domed as well. When the Soviet Union existed, the Andrzejski and Aleksandrovsky Halls were combined to form the seat of the Supreme Soviet of the USSR. 
And I do want to apologize for my pronunciation. Russian is definitely not my first language. So I, I'm just apologizing to the listeners for my unique pronunciations of these names. <laughs> I was just about to say, boy, am I glad you got all of those. <laughs> yeah, for either one of us, pronunciation is not our strong suit. And as a matter of fact, the music that we had playing as we came into talking about the history here is by a group that I can't tell you the name because it's all in Russian. So I can't tell you the name of the song or the name of the group. But if you are interested, I do have a link to it in the show notes. World War One had broken out in 1914, and Russia's participation proved to be the initial undoing of the Tsars. Two separate revolutions took place in 1917, known as the Russian Revolution, and Vladimir Lenin and the Bolsheviks overthrew Tsar Nicholas II. Civil war ensued and the communist era began. The Kremlin again became the seat of power at this time, and large red stars were placed around the towers. Lenin became the architect of the Soviet state and its first leader. His last name is not his birth name. It's a name he chose for himself while working in the political underground. During the Civil War, Lenin launched the Red Terror that killed any opposition in the civilian population. Lenin's dreams of a perfect society never came to fruition. The same lower classes he had used to rise to power turned on him, and strife was a part of the new USSR. And not to get political, Denise, but you and I, this is no surprise to us that communism just doesn't work. It doesn't? (laughs) Just kidding. These people always think, hey, if we, you know, have all this socialism and communism and we just all live as one big happy family and everybody gets their fair share, we hear a lot of that around here, then everything's going to be grand. The only problem is you're talking to a bunch of humans and most humans are about me. (laughs) So they're not going to work harder for the general society. For the good of the whole. And I don't know too many people who are willing to give up their share of their hard earnings for somebody who's not working as hard. This is very true. So I would say the idea is um, very appealing, but in reality with human nature, I don't think it could ever work. In a perfect world, it would work wonderfully. But we don't live in a perfect world, so... Joseph Stalin became the leader of the USSR in 1924, and he rules for two decades until 1953. His was a reign of terror that sent the peasants back into serfdom, and millions of people starved to death under his leadership. Continuing what his predecessor, Lenin, had begun, Stalin removed all reminders of the Tsars from the Kremlin. Statues were destroyed, and the golden eagles on the towers were removed and replaced by Kremlin stars. Stalin also pulled down some of the cathedrals and and replaced them with a military school. The Kremlin was closed to foreign visitors at this time as well. Yeah, Stalin did a lot to destroy the beauty that had been the Kremlin before. And a lot of people were very dismayed by this because there was no way to replace that. And the other interesting thing about Stalin is, who was this guy? I mean, Lenin dies and Stalin comes up and goes, "Uh, Lenin wanted me to be the next uh, leader here. And everybody's going, well, he didn't tell us that. He pulls out this picture of him sitting next to Lenin and says, see, look, see how close we were? Come to find out that that photo was photoshopped. And it was very, very well done because they have a picture of it up on Wikipedia. And I was looking at it and I thought it was a real one. At first, I I saw the picture and I went, oh, I never knew that Lenin and Stalin like met with each other and stuff. And then I read the caption and sure enough, it said that it was a doctored photo that Stalin was throwing around and showing to everybody and saying, look, we're buddies. This is why I should be the next leader. And of course, Stalin proved to be a horrible leader there as many people as were killed in the wars and stuff, he he killed far more. You know, a lot of people said, oh, look at all the people that were killed in the concentration camps. Well, Stalin killed more of his own people than 
died in those concentration camps in Poland and Germany and stuff. The Kremlin would not open for visitors until 1955, and the Kremlin museums were opened in 1961. Nikita Khrushchev had the Kremlin Palace of Congresses built in the 1960s, and it clashes horribly with the rest of the Kremlin's architecture. Current leader Vladimir Putin added a unique feature to the Kremlin, a helipad, which was finished in 2013. The Kremlin is open every day of the week for tours except Thursdays, and tours begin at 10 a.m. There are individual tickets for different areas. The museum tickets run around $10. Based on this history, one can see that the Kremlin is the heart of Moscow and contains some of the oldest structures in Russia. A place with such a rich history and veiled in mystery is the perfect setting for hauntings, and the Kremlin is notoriously haunted. The main hauntings are attributed to three of Russia's leaders, Ivan the Terrible, Vladimir Lenin, and Joseph Stalin. The interesting point to keep in mind when talking about ghosts and Russia is that communism forced a type of atheism to un the people. Telling ghost stories was almost a forbidden act. So imagine the irony of communist leaders haunting their people. (laughs) (laughs) Ivan the Terrible is thought to mainly haunt the Ivan the Great Bell Tower. His heavy-booted footsteps have been heard, and a shadow figure resembling the crazy leader has been seen on multiple occasions. Several times, Ivan's ghost has appeared engulfed in flames. Not exactly sure why, but seeing as how he was nuts. Nikolai II was the last czar in Russia before the Soviet state was installed, and he and his wife claimed that they had a visitation from a full-bodied apparition of Ivan the Terrible on the evening before Nikolai's coronation. Many look back on this event as a bad omen for the Romanov royal dynasty, which was going to collapse. In 1923, a security chief reported seeing the ghostly apparition of Lenin. The weird thing about this sighting is that Lenin was still alive at the time. The chief had thought it was odd that Lenin was wandering about without a security detail. Perhaps he was preparing to choose some people out for this lack of protection, But instead of finding the lazy security detail, the chief found out that Lenin was not even at the Kremlin. He was away in Gorky. Was this Lenin's doppelganger? A doppelganger is a lookalike of a living person and is read about mostly in folklore. Seeing a doppelganger is generally considered a sign of bad luck. Lenin would die three months after this incident. Even more bizarre is that there were other witnesses who saw Lenin that same evening and claimed that the leader who was ill and needed a cane was walking about just fine and seemed very healthy. Lenin's body is still around and on display at the Lenin Mausoleum. The macabre display features Lenin in a suit that is washed and ironed regularly and changed out every three years, lying in a glass coffin that is kept at a constant temperature and humidity. His skin is regularly treated with a bleach solution to prevent mold. Lenin can be viewed in small groups for up to five minutes under the watchful eye of several guards. Lenin's spirit might still be hanging out since his body was never buried like he had requested before his death. The apartment he lived in is locked and sealed, but people say they hear papers rustling, furniture creaking, and pacing footsteps as if someone were inside. Lenin has been retouched so often that he basically looks like a wax piece of fruit. <laughs> they said there's so much mortician's wax on him. And... The government no longer will pay to upkeep him. Uh, A lot of people who are listening probably recall a lot of the statues of Lenin were pulled down and all kinds of stuff. 
very recently. So basically, the way that they're keeping his body going is by donation now. So they better hope the donations keep coming in. And they are probably going to have to stop buying those new suits every three years. That's just weird. Can you imagine? I mean, for you and I, I know it was really bizarre when we went into St. Peter's Basilica at the Vatican. And there's popes that are in glass coffins in there that are all mummified. And they were mummified looking. They look like, you know, mummies and stuff. Whereas Lenin, I mean, he pretty much looks like he did when he died. Just a little waxy. (laughs) little waxy. A woman by the name of Fanny Kaplan was accused of trying to assassinate Lenin, and although no proof was ever given and no trial was held, Kaplan was executed by being shot and then stuffed in a barrel and set on fire at the Kremlin. She is said to haunt the Komandanskaya Tower, where her apparition is seen with unkempt hair, holding a gun, and trembling. Joseph Stalin's ghost is the most seen specter. If a room at the Kremlin suddenly gets cold, people believe that Stalin is there, particularly if the country is facing some kind of crisis. The scent of urine occasionally accompanies the cold spots because Stalin was found lying in his own urine after he was poisoned with rat poison, most likely by one of his generals. Stalin's special service chief, Exhoff, has been seen wandering the halls, particularly where Stalin's private residence, the Patriarch Chambers, once was located. The ghost of Stalin's secret police chief, Lavrente Beria, has been seen within the Kremlin. He and his men tortured and killed hundreds of people who opposed Stalin. The haunting sounds of screams and footsteps can still be heard in the dungeons below the residence. False Dmitri claimed to be the youngest son of Ivan the Terrible, although those claims were never proven. He overthrew the Tsar at the time and ruled for a short time. He fell out of favor with the people and they revolted, and this was very shortly after he took over the Tsarship. Several assassins climbed the walls and False Dmitri jumped from a window, breaking his leg. He was then shot to death. His ghost has been seen wandering among the battlements of the Kremlin. He was last seen in 1991 by a group of employees. They claimed he was waving his arms as if warning them of something. The next day, a communist coup d'etat was staged that Boris Yeltsin defeated. Workers at the state archives of the Russian Federation claim to see a woman in a white robe who wanders the aisles there as if protecting the historical accounts. So even Russia has the woman in white. I'm telling you, every single place has one. It's just fascinating. Some claim she is a member of the Romanov family, the last czar line. Figures dressed in shrouds are witnessed in the corridors of the Kremlin Palace of Congresses. The Kremlin was built as a fortress of protection. It appears to be no match for the restless spirits of those long dead. Are Russia and the USSR's former leaders still holding court in their former residence? Are the spirits of those tortured and killed still trapped within the walls of their former prison? That is for you to decide. Well, that was a very concise history, but I, it pretty much covered the the highlights. And just Russia has a very fascinating history. And that's the one thing about when you go over to Europe and Asia, is there's just so much history there as compared to America. Yeah, thousands and thousands of years rather than hundreds and hundreds. Exactly. And I mean, these buildings, this the Kremlin has been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They built things to last for sure. It is amazing when you just go through the whole history of like the Kremlin and the leaders and everything, especially like with Ivan the Terrible, how, how much just in history of the world history in general that they've commissioned in the past 
basically serial killers to be leaders or whatever, because he, like we said, is a point blank serial killer that we would have him locked up here if we caught him not leading the country. And how much mental illness was not taken care of for him. He more than likely, just based on some of his symptoms, particularly the paranoia he had, probably schizophrenic. And what's amazing, though, is he functioned wonderfully as a leader. He was a great leader. It was just he was so paranoid. And he thought all these people were out to get him that he would just kill him. And then his own son, of course, who was supposed to be the next in line, he ends up killing him in anger, because I think Ivan the Terrible had done something to his son's wife. I'm not exactly sure what all had happened there. But that's why his son came after him and was like, hey, jerk. And so then he ends up killing that. Well, he only had one other son to take over the czarship after him. And it was kind of a feeble-minded son. So he handed that over to somebody who was not capable, really. And the fascinating thing is we were going through this history, how many of these czars basically got their start when they were little, three years old, 10 years old. That seemed to be kind of common in world history because even over in China, a lot of times they were like these little mm-hmm. itty bitties running around. And the fascinating thing is, who helped them run the country then? Their mothers. Mommy. <laughs> so Then we have Norman Bates. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mother. <laughs> well, you're going to want to join us for our next show. We're going to go back and do a little something like we did in the first month that we were broadcasting when we did a show featuring the legend of Bloody Mary. I thought, wouldn't it be fun to do another legend show? Absolutely, because that one tended to be our freak out show. I know, everybody was really creeped out by that one. This one's a really creepy story, too. We're going to talk about the legend of Black Aggie. Black Aggie, that sounds intriguing. It's a statue, or it was a statue in a cemetery, and not good things happen with it. So everybody will have to tune in to find out more Mm -hmm. about that. Things that make you go, hmm. Hmm. All right. We want to thank you for joining us. I have been your host, Diane. And this is Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape-shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us.